Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is an audiobook narrator who has also been a publishing consultant and the VP of Marketing at the Parable Group, a consortium of independently owned bookstores. Jim Siebert, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Hey, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for coming yeah. in. How are you tonight? Yeah. I'm, I'm wonderful. Uh, I, I have my little, uh, my little glass of goodie here. Oh, that's good. So what's in that glass? What are you drinking tonight? This is Booker's Bourbon. Ah, and uh, which is a small batch bourbon, part of the Jim Beam family. Um, this one, they make three batches a year. This is batch three of 2018. It's 128 proof. Oh, you got a cask strength. I have a cask strength bourbon. It's not worth drinking if it if it isn't. <laughs> and uh, um, I put one little ice cube in it, and I've got my Denny Crane rocks glass here. Denny Crane. Denny Crane, uh, Crane Pool and Schmidt. And I have my rocks in it, my one, two and a half or two inch by two inch ice cube. And uh, you kind of swirl it around a little bit, let the ice break up the alcohol. Oh, yeah. And uh, it gives you a real good vanilla, kind of a caramely taste. And the, the nice thing about about this is two fingers is all you can have. <laughs> uh, if you... <laughs> You can't, you cannot have a second, a, a second shot of this or a second couple of fingers or you'll be on the floor. So it, <laughs> uh, have, it gives your lip numb really, really fast. I have not had Booker's cask strength and that's a, that's a really high cask strength. Most, most of the, um, most of the barrel strength ones that I get are somewhere in the 115 to 125 range. So 128 is pretty high. 128 is pretty high. It's uh, pretty pretty close to 70% alcohol in yeah, that glass. Yeah. yeah. So I have not had that. I have had Booker's, and Booker's uh-huh. is good stuff. The other oh, yeah. the other B that I have not had yet, um, I can't remember having it. I'm, I'm definitely going to get a bottle one of these days, is Blanton's, which I understand is oh. also quite good. Okay. Um, but, uh, but I have had Booker's that is, that is some good stuff. Uh, so I guess it's a whiskey night because I'm also having whiskey, but I am not having bourbon. I'm actually doing, having something in the, uh, in the speakeasy tonight that I have never done before, which is that oh. I'm, I'm having a flight, um, which okay. I, I like to do. Uh, and tonight it's a rye flight. So, Ooh. so I've got my, uh, my previous favorite rye, which is high West double rye. And I've got my current favorite rye, which is Oregon Spirit Distillers rye whiskey. Mm. And I just got a bottle today from uh, Flaviar of something called Ragtime Rye, which I'd never heard of. It's out <laughs> of a uh, it's out of a distillery in uh, New York. And um, I saw it, and I just had to get it because when I was a kid, when I was learning how to play the piano. I was in love with ragtime music, sure. and I memorized, I don't know how many Scott Joplin songs. I've still got mm. my Joplin book of, like, everything he wrote. Uh, I always think, yeah, someday I'll get back to it, but, you know, I've been thinking that for 30 years. So um, so anyway, I saw the bottle of Ragtime Rye, and I thought, I don't know how good it is, but I got to buy it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're, I think rye whiskeys are becoming more popular. I think they're Oh, they are. Yeah, they're coming back. Yeah, yeah, I would say that in the past year or two, there's been uh, the beginnings of a resurgence, and uh, hmm. it's it's really going well. And I really like a couple of um, the they're really doing a lot of experimenting with um, with barrel finishes, and hmm. uh, two of the ones that I like are uh, James E. Pepper 1776. I believe it's port barrel finished. Um, Oh, no, that one might be sherry. I think that one might be sherry-finished uh, rye whiskey. Um, and I can't remember. Oh, and uh, Basil Hayden, uh, Dark Rye. Their, yeah. their Dark Rye is great. Um, Johnny Heller actually turned me on to that one. That's uh, that's rye with a with just a wee bit of port wine mixed sure. in. It's not just the barrel finish. It's actually with uh, port wine mixed in. Good yeah. stuff. I really like yeah, it. Yeah, ba- Basil Hayden does a good job, and uh, they do. Yeah. Booker, you may want to check out Booker's does one now that they uh, they barrel it in old rum barrels. Oh, that'd be nice too. And yeah, it's just a little little dark and a little bit a little bit of sweet in there from the rum. Yeah, that yeah. makes me think of um, makes me think of Balvenie. 
they're a Caribbean cask. I believe that those mm. are those are rum barrels. I could be wrong on on the fact that they're rum, but I believe that those are rum barrels. And uh, that's one of my favorite scotches. So um, yeah. So anyway, it's a whiskey night. I uh, got some some bookers going on your end, which I will definitely look for. And uh, and I've got a, a nice little rye flight here. So thanks for joining okay. me tonight, Jim. Cheers. You're, you're welcome. Cheers. Yes. All right. So uh, Jim, if I remember correctly, you are in mm. uh, the Central Valley in California. Actually, the Central Coast. Central Coast. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, right. That's right on the coast, uh, halfway between L.A. and San Francisco, about 90 minutes. North of Santa Barbara, a little town called Pismo Beach. Oh, yes. Uh, made famous by a lot of things, in, including the fact that Bugs Bunny stopped here in one of the cartoons. One of his Bugs Bunny cartoons said, we're, we're in Pismo Beach. So, What's up, so, so yeah. Pismo Beach, I actually thought that you were in uh, San Luis Obispo. No, San Luis Obispo is, quote, the big town right up the road. Got it. Okay. but yeah. But you are in Pismo. Yeah. My wife and I were out there, I think it was about eight or ten years ago, we... Uh, we took a vacation in, um, my uncle lived in Templeton and, uh-huh. uh, and we, I think that we actually stayed in San Luis Obispo. I'm, I'm blanking now. It, it sure. might've been one of the other towns around there. Uh, uh-huh. what else, what else is right there? Um, well, there's a, there's a Royal Grande, Pismo beach, Grover beach, uh, Morro Bay. No, it wasn't on the coast. It was more, okay. uh, Pas- you know, we may have stayed in oh, Paso Robles. Pa- Paso Robles, yeah. big wine country. Big yeah, wine country. we actually did yeah. some wine tasting there. It was a, it's yeah. a, and and I think even since then, there's like probably three times as many wineries. Oh god! Um, but it was it was really nice out there, and we drove out to Hearst Castle one day, mm-hmm. and I uh, got to got to hang out with my uncle. So, uh, so yeah. anyway, so Central Coast. Okay, that's good. Where are you from originally? Uh, born and raised in San Francisco. Oh, no kidding! Uh, yeah, my uh, my dad was a, a grip on the cable cars. So when you ride the cable cars, the person that pulls the the levers, uh, dad did that back in the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. And I uh, grew up in Chinatown, right up uh, right up the street uh, from Grant Street, uh, which is Grant Street is Chinatown in San Francisco. And uh, then we moved to the suburbs in the uh, you know when I was in grade school. But I would. Uh, I would go back and live in San Francisco in the blink of an eye if I could afford it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very expensive city, but I just, uh, you know, I left my heart in San Francisco. It's just, uh, the, you know, the, it has its problems. It's got some some issues with with uh, people that don't have a place to stay, so they have to sleep on the streets and those types Every of things. Every big city but, does. Uh, but it's, uh, and my apologies to people from, New York and Dallas and Chicago and other big cities, but but San Francisco, as far as I'm concerned, is the best big city in the country. Yep, no, I I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. Having having spent uh, twenty twenty three years in the Bay Area, uh, when yeah. you moved to the suburbs, where'd you go? Concord. Oh, no kidding! Wow, that's a culture yeah. shock. Yeah, that was. It was in the it was in the mid '60s, so it uh, Concord was a very small little town at, at the time. It's it's grown up quite a bit since then. But oh yeah, I think yeah, Concord's over a hundred thousand at this point. Yeah, I would I wouldn't be surprised. It was a tiny little place uh, when we moved over there. In fact, there were uh, almond orchards all around our our little housing tract. Oh wow! And, yeah, yeah, it was a, a good time. That's cool. So uh, so did you stay there? How how long did you stay there? I should say. Uh, uh, graduated from uh, high school there and then moved to LA to make my fortune in the restaurant business. That didn't work out. Um, <laughs> that's a tough gig, man. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, bopped, uh, bopped around a little bit, um, ended up, uh, tried to enlist in the army and, uh, the army didn't want me, uh, in ni- 1973. Damn. And, um, yeah, they were just, they were done with their uh, jungle training camp in Vietnam and, uh, or they were getting done with it and the draft was going on. Uh, I figured if I, um, if I enlisted, uh, I would have a little bit more, uh, control over what the army did to me rather than letting them uh, draft me and, uh, uh, go where they told me to go. But when I, uh, when I got through the whole process, uh, I failed because of a physical, Oh. So, um, went to work, um, you know, just odd jobs around and ended up being an intern at kiss radio. I remember uh, kiss, which, you know, of course, nowadays kiss is a powerhouse FM in LA and Rick, uh, Rick, Rick D's, D's yeah. and, uh, uh, 
was there for a while and and uh, Seacrest out you know uh, what's his name Seacrest Brian Seacrest uh, yeah. at the time in the in the mid 70s it was uh, a little AM radio in the first floor of the Playboy building on Sunset and um, <laughs> so we would go in and there would be in the elevator there would be um, a very attractive uh, young ladies going up to that was the studio the photo studio was on the ninth wow, floor no and so we would be there in the elevator with these girls who, you know, within just a few minutes would be posing. And as, as, uh, you know, young 20, 20 year old kids, we were, uh, we thought that was just the greatest thing. Yeah. No um, so this was, I, this was, uh, mid seventies, early seventies, mid 70s, 74. I was an intern there and, uh, learned, uh, learned how to talk, uh, learned how to speak, uh, old fashioned, you know, radio guys. Sure. Speech. Yeah. Uh, hand on the ear type thing and uh, learned how to, you know, we had the NBC pronunciation guide because every word had to be pronounced exactly right. And diction was important and all of that, which, uh, which led me, I, I spent 20 years in radio and uh, I read the news uh, for, uh, for 20 years. So I don't know where this, where, what question you asked, but that's where we got to. So I'm, I'm curious about the timing because I could have sworn that Kiss was on the FM dial by the time I was listening to it, which would have been the late seventies. Yeah, they, they changed. Uh, they were, they were way up AM eleven fifty, and so they were way up on the AM dial. And mm-hmm. I don't know a whole lot about about radio technology, but the further up you are on the dial the worst signal you have, ah. uh, is, is what I understand. The lower signals like down in the five and six and 700 range, those are the AM stations that go for miles and miles and miles. And up high on the dial, you didn't have, especially at night, you had very limited, um, very limited broadcast. Huh. And, uh, and so I know that after I left there, I was there for about a year and a half. And after I left, they, I, I don't know if they simulcast AM and FM or if they just went to FM, but yeah, sometime in the late seventies, they went to, I don't know where they are on the FM dial now, but I think it's one hundred two seven if I remember correctly, if they haven't moved, but that, and, that, that sounds about right then because yeah. I was, I was in high school in the late seventies and, yeah. um, and I remember listening to kiss FM and kick a DJ was the other one. I can't remember, the oh, yeah. remember that one. But yeah. uh, KKDJ and uh, KLOS and uh, KMET, a little bit mm-hmm. of heaven, ninety four point seven. So, uh, so anyway, we're we're dating ourselves here, Jim. <laughs> so, uh, so you were in radio and uh, and you learned how to be a good announcer. And uh, when did the publishing consultant gig come in? Well, I, you know, I was working in radio and and uh, I was doing a lot of commercial work, doing a lot of uh, cutting a lot of ads. I think I probably. I don't know. I've, I've, probably, I've probably made thousands of, of radio ads, and most of them just for local stations. And uh, one of our uh, one of the things that you had to do in small town radio was you had to also go out and, and sell ads. And so I I uh, pulled a, a shift. I w- and then I also went out and sold radio ads. And I, I called on this guy. I was back in California by this time in uh, 90, 92, 93. And I called on this guy um, who had this bookstore. And I said, uh, you know, you've got this really nice bookstore here. Uh, how would you like to uh, to buy some ads? You know, which is about the way it was because I'm a terrible ad salesman. <laughs> and and we chatted for a while. And uh, he said, you know, I, I, he says I want to make you a proposal. And I said, oh, you know, okay, what is it? And he um, he told me about this group of stores um, that had pretty close to 450 of these independent. Uh, bookstores around the country. And he says, we're looking, he was the president of this association. And uh, he said, we're looking for somebody to uh, do an in-house advertising agency for us. Would you be interested? And uh, the first thing, the first thing I thought of was, well, I have to work weekends. And I didn't have to work weekends. It was a regular five day a week job. Uh, so why, which, why did that interest you? Was the job that you were currently doing at that point requiring you uh, to work weekends? Well, yeah. I mean, when you're a, when you're a, a DJ, uh, you know, you're working in small town radio, you are, you're working seven days a week and you're oh, doing remotes and, yeah. and the pay, the pay is literally worse than narrating books. And, um, if you can believe that <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, you know, I talked to my wife and the guy offered a great salary and so, um, as the, the advertising director, uh, advertising manager, I guess for this, uh, 
for this uh, company, I started I started uh, rubbing shoulders and meeting a lot of publishers. Um, you know, doing special deals in the stores with uh, with special books. Um, got some promotions. Ended up being uh, being a vice being his vice president of marketing for the whole company, and just spent a lot of time um, interacting with publishers: New York and Nashville, Chicago, uh, Minneapolis. And uh, in 2001, um, I'd kind of had enough of corporate life. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I was unhappy. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the job was amazing. Uh, great people to work for. Um, I tell people that I, 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 I never had an expense uh, account turned back to me uh, in, in the entire time I was there. Nobody ever said, well, why'd you spend this money? Um, we were a pretty big player in independent books. And so any, I'd call a publisher and, and boom, they'd pick up my call. I mean, just like that. And, um, but I, I, I had no more challenge. Uh, I, you know, I tell people I was, I was only eating the low hanging fruit. There was nothing, there was nothing to challenge me. And I got, I got pretty grouchy and pretty down and, uh, started talking to a few people about what I might do. And actually a couple of the publishers that I work with said, well, you know, you, you should just go hang your own shingle and, and be a, a marketing consultant. And, um, so I did, uh, and I, <laughs> I launched my consulting practice on the, um, uh, 11th day of September in 2001. Oh my God. But the, so, so you were probably all excited about getting everything going and I'm ready to go and oh, look at the news. Well, I was, I, uh, that morning, uh, early, early, early in the morning, I, uh, I live about three hours from LA. So I, I was, uh, I got in my car and I headed South to, um, LAX to the airport because I was going to fly to Nashville and see a client, you know, my first opportunity to see a client. And, um, uh, my wife, I didn't have the radio on. I was listening to, uh, I'd like to say I was listening to an audio book, but I wasn't, I was listening <laughs> to a, to a cassette and, uh, of some music. And, uh, my wife calls and she says, are you coming home? And I said, why? And she says, well, turn on the radio. And, uh, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. You know, and I, you know, so I couldn't fly anywhere for a couple of weeks, which is very small potatoes to what everybody else went through. But it sure. was, a, it was an, an inauspicious beginning yeah, for my yeah. consulting company. But I did that for uh, for quite a few years. Uh, when the economy fell apart in to what's two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I lost a lot of business. I wasn't really prepared for it. I'm not, I'm not an economic genius. I think I know a little bit about marketing, but. But as far as the economy goes, and I really wasn't prepared. And well, clearly, you know a few things about marketing. I mean, if you were the VP of marketing <laughs> at this group, and and in fact, I mean, you say that that when you went in and you met this guy, uh, you were uh, <laughs> that you said you want to buy some airtime, and that was pretty much it because you weren't very good at that. But there must have been something that was well that was that you were exuding that made him think <laughs> this guy is really good in this field. Yeah, I I think there's a difference between selling and marketing. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I think marketing is, is finding out what people want and telling the story and creating images and creating language and creating situation. You know, the, the, the four P's, the, the, the product, the placement, the, uh, oh golly, um, the yeah. price and no, the there, promotion. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And say, and to me, sales is, is a lot different. I have a lot of respect for people who can sell things. I can't, I can paint a real good picture. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I've had some situations where I've painted a real nice picture and then people have said to me, well, you know, Jim, how much does this cost? You know, what do I have to do to buy this? But, uh, I, I had a, I had a great time at it, but, but it, I, uh, we just, we hit a wall with this, this economy went, uh, down the toilet. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I lost a lot of money in a, in a couple of years and, uh, found a, a, a group. I don't know if you've ever heard of Fred Pryor is a, Fred Pryor is a uh, seminar company. They do these one-day seminars where they go around and teach you time management and all of that. Well, I, it, I, it sounds um, familiar, but I, I can't say that I'm I'm uh, I, I may be conflating it with something else. Yeah, so I clicked in with these guys, and for three years, I uh, they they agented me. They booked me around the country, and in three years, I did 407 cities in three years. In fact, wow. I was in I was in Tucson quite a few times. No and, kidding. Uh, oh yeah, and. Uh, I think you have a, um, I think you have a, a double tree 
We do. And yeah, and I, I think I stayed there a, a number of times. And, uh, but at 60 something years old, uh, driving to a different city every day, every day, every day, um, got old. It got uh, tiring. It uh, was physically starting to kill me. And sure, sure, man, uh, I would have, I would have hated that when I was 30. <laughs> and so I, I'm driving from town to town to town every night. And, um, I don't know if you know anything about the Midwest, but there's precious few radio stations worth listening to. I mean, mm. you either have, I don't, I'm not a big fan of country music. So you've got country music, you've got brimstone and fire, you know, uh, uh, televangelists on, mm-hmm. on the radio at night. So I started listening to books. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at my phone and what is this audible thing here? Oh, I'll down, download a couple of books. I'll listen to these. And somewhere in Texas or Oklahoma or Kansas or one of those places between cities, a little light bulb went on and said, you know, you used to talk for a living <laughs> and you could probably do this. So I, um, uh, I got home, sent emails to everybody I knew in publishing. I mean, everybody, uh, Hey, I'm thinking of doing audiobooks. Uh, who do you know? I mean, this is, you know, all the, all the big, how all the big New York houses, the, you know, the Chicago people, the people in Nashville, everybody I knew. And, and Almost, when was this? Um, three years ago, three and a half years ago. Okay. And, um, so I get all these answers back. Oh, you'd be great. I don't know anybody. I'm starting to think, well, this is nice. Oh, that was a nice idea until one guy, and it only takes one, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, one guy, a guy named Michael, um, emails me back and he says, you know, Jim, he says, you, you'd be good at this. And, uh, I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Corey Werner. That name rings a bell. And I said, Corey Werner, huh? Yeah. Same thing. He says, yeah, he's the president. He founded uh, Christian audio. Ah, so I get on the phone with Corey after a couple of emails back and forth, and we chat. And he you know, asked me about my background. Have you ever done audiobooks? As well, I did one back in 2010 because uh, a, a book I had written uh, on on management, um, and it was published by Tyndale House. Oasis Audio picked it up in 2010 and asked me, the author, to to read my own book. Okay, now wait a minute. Um, wait, we got we got to back up here. So, okay. what what caused you to write a book on management? Oh. Um, cause I had some really bad managers. <laughs> great, in, motiv- in great my, motivation. Teach somebody in, else how to do it. Right. Yeah. In my life. And I'd also had some good ones and, you know, as VP of management, I was managing a bunch of people and I saw, I saw managers in, in retail stores and, and all. And, and so I, uh, I wrote this book that was in, that was in like 2003, 2004. And then in 2010, Oasis picked up, they bought the audio rights. So Oasis is also a, a Christian or spiritual house, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's mostly what they do there in um, uh, there in Chicago, outside of uh, outside of uh, of Chicago. Uh, Carol Stream, I think, is the the name of their uh, of their of their town. So they uh, so they picked up that book as a print book, and they contacted you to see if you'd want to narrate it. Yeah, they uh, Tyndale House, which is another a Christian publisher, they published the hardcover, and then Oasis bought the audio rights to it, and uh, so they asked me if I would do it. I, I I did it. They they paid me a whole fifty bucks an hour to do it. I thought that was just wonderful. <laughs> um, uh, that was two thousand ten, and it, it never dawned on me at the time in two thousand ten to to think, hmm, I could do this for other people. Um. So I'm curious, since since you weren't an audiobook narrator at that point, I'm curious about what the process was. I I assume that even though you'd spoken and you'd worked in radio, it wasn't like you had a home studio set up at that point. No, I had to find a studio. And uh, so I I called around town and there were a lot of studios that record bands, but only one guy that was willing to do do audio. And in fact, um, the people at Oasis uh, communicated with him, set the whole thing up, told him what, what they needed. Um, I'm sure they told him that they needed a punch and roll copy and blah, blah, blah. I didn't know any of that stuff at the time. I just, I came in with the book. Uh, actually they, uh, I got the book, uh, I got a PDF version of the book. So, uh, I came in with just pages. Uh, of course in 2010, there, there were no, I don't think there were any iPads. Anyway, we, you know, I came in with the, with the pages and then, and I would just, I sat down and he was in the other booth, you know, just like the, just like the big time studios are now, like mm-hmm. what? like at Dion and, and other places. Sure. And, uh, 
you know, and I would read and then I go back and I listen to it and I think it was, it was pretty good, but it was really radio. It was, you know, I was reading with a big voice you know, like that, right. like, uh, which is, um, which is a, you know, a, a tough thing to do. So, uh, or doesn't make a good audio book. So, um, come forward to uh, talking with Corey. So Corey says, um, yeah, I, you know, I've got some books here. I've got some, he didn't use the term B level, but in, in publishing, there are B level books. And he says, I've got some books here that, um, that I'd like to have produced. Um, but they're, they're probably not going to be that big of a seller. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you five books to do, and I'm going to give you a, a discounted rate. I won't talk about the rate, but it was, a, it was less than, uh, you know, less than, than scale. Sure. And, um, uh, and he says, so, you know, I, I want you to do this. Well, I didn't have a studio. I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything. And then this other guy, um, uh, he wanted 50 bucks an hour. And I figured if I, if I did 50 bucks an hour over there, I wasn't going to make a whole lot of money on these books. So I, um, in the corner of an office, uh, here in my house and in, in a corner, about a five by five foot corner, I bought a bunch of two inch, uh, pyramid foam mm -hmm. or lax foam. Sure. So that, that went on two walls and then I went to Amazon and I bought a, an eight foot by six foot, uh, cardboard room divider. Mm, it was, yep. it was sold for college students, you know, dormitory rooms. I, uh, I reinforced that with some, uh, one by four, uh, you know, lumber, mm -hmm. uh, stapled it and glued it. And so that became the back wall of my little studio. And I pasted the, uh, or a lax on that. So I was completely surrounded, but then about a foot from the ceiling was wide open. Mm -hmm. So I recorded the first book and, uh, John Clickman, the, uh, the engineer there at Christian audio says, well, Jim, yeah, it's okay. Uh, a little echoey. Uh, cause I was using uh, earbuds. Oh, to, yeah. to listen. Well, you can't hear anything. So I got a, you know, pretty decent set of headphones to listen. Oh yeah. So, so what do you do about that? Well, you go into the linen closet and you find some old towels that you don't think your wife's going to miss <laughs> and you staple those suckers to the ceiling yeah. all the way, you know, around and you enclose it. So the sound doesn't get out and, and echo. And, and, you know, I did, um, I did about 15 books in that cardboard studio. So let me ask you this, because um, yeah. that because everything that you're saying, I, I I'm in one of the groups for booth building, and of course the the whole booth uh, or recording space question comes up a lot oh, yeah. in the narrator group. Um, yeah. I'm I'm curious about um, other noise getting in because what yeah. you're describing is pretty typical for a setup for somebody who doesn't have much external noise to worry about. They're more concerned about reflection, but right. of course what you're describing would not keep out external noise. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was, I'm pretty blessed. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's an internal room. So, um, only, only one wall faces outside. And, uh, and what I did with that is I bought some, uh, some two inch foam and put it in the window. It's got, um, what are those things called? Louvered, you know, mm -hmm. louvered blind. So I put it behind there and I actually, um, with the door closed and another door in the hallway closed, uh, unless there, unless an airplane flew over or unless the neighbor lady had her grandkids over or unless it rained and you heard the, you know, the dribble dribble of a, of a rain spout or on garbage day, which is Tuesdays. I, I, I it was pretty good. It was, it was pretty quiet. I was, That's good. uh, I'm pulling about a right around about a 60, a minus 60, uh, for noise floor. So, you know, it was, it was pretty clean. Yeah. Um, the problem is I was starting to get busy and I was starting to get people calling and asking me to do books and I could only record in the, in the morning because the lady next door has her grandkids over every afternoon. And I actually had to turn a couple of books down. Well, you know, when you're, when you're getting started or, you know, that you hate to do that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I started looking around. I bought I bought the plans for the DAW box, um, and I looked at those and the very uh, uh, extensive plans for those. Talked to a couple of narrators uh, who've who've built their own or in the process of building their own. I know those uh, plans well. Yeah, looked at brick, looked at whisper room, looked around, and um, 
And Andrea Ames, uh, up in, uh, up in the Bay area in San mm-hmm. Jose yeah. was, was flooded out a couple of years ago during a big storm they had. And her book, her booth was ruined. And Simon Vance, uh, from what I'm reading on Facebook, Simon either loaned her or sold her his old booth. I remember that. Yeah. And it's a Scott Peterson booth, Scott's VO booth. And, and what went through my mind was, wow, if Simon uses one of these, I guess I will too. Must be pretty and, good. <laughs> must be. So I got a hold of Scott and, and, uh, you know, we worked something out. Of course he's right here in Southern California. So it was, uh, it was, uh, pretty advantageous. Um, and so I, now I'm sitting in a beautiful little four by four foot, um, in a Scott's VO booth and, uh, uh, hardly any outside noise. Scott says I'm really lucky because I'm, I'm already in a quiet room. Yeah. And then, that, you know, that, that's a his, huge help. Put his booth in it. And I'm, you know, so on, you know, without any filtering and I don't understand a whole lot of these gate filters and all this other stuff, Don Barnes built me some, built me a stack in RX, but I don't, I don't know what it does. He just says it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> I, um, uh, I, I get about a minus 75 somewhere in there. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm real pleased with that. And, uh, and I'm able to do, I'm able now to, uh, to, to narrate in the afternoon, um, when the neighbor kids are, are, you know, are over there playing. Well, that's good. Uh, so, so yeah. you started to get more books and you had to turn a few down because of the space and then you improved your space. And it sounds like at this point, this is pretty much what you do. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it is pretty much what I do. I have one little tiny um, uh, client that I that I see uh, that's been that's hung around for um, quite a few years. Um, they're in the agriculture business, and I meet with them about once a month and meet with their managers and uh, chat with them and and uh, uh, just help management development. You know, I'm um, I was told the other day that I have a lot of wisdom. Um, uh, so it's just a management consultant thing, helping them make yeah. sure their business is working. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm old, I've been through a lot of things and, uh, you know, so I mean, it's kind of sharing it, but, but other than that, this is, uh, this is what I do. Now, wait a minute. You're only a few years older than me, so you're not old. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in your mind. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Actually, I, you know, it's funny. It, it, people say that and you can kind of laugh about it. I, I honestly believe that to a certain point, um, there's, there's a lot of things about being old that suck in terms of, um, physical problems, you know, clearly the body starts to break down, but I honestly believe that, uh, most of your age is all in your mind. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're going to talk here for an hour. I hope I can make it an hour. That's one of the things that's not in, <laughs> that's not in my mind, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I get it. So, uh, so that's yeah. great. So this is what you're doing all the time now. So do you, do you think, I mean, I know that, that a lot of the early work was for Christian audio. Do you, is that kind of a specialty of yours? Is that something that you're intentionally focusing on or is that just mm-hmm. sort of what happened and you're, it's not something that you want to focus on. It just sort of happened and you're happy with it or, uh, yeah. or what? Well, that, you know, that's where I started and I, gosh, I just, I owe uh, so much gratitude to, uh, to my friend Michael and to Corey, because, you know, I, I talked to, to, uh, narrators and you, and you see them on, you know, on the Facebooks, uh, Facebook and those types of places that go you know, years sometimes without, you know, without a paid gig, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, all royalty share. And, uh, and my first five were, you know, I get paid, you know, I, I outfitted my entire studio with uh, the revenue from, you know, from those five books. Um, and, uh, you know, and I actually had to force myself to go and, and do a couple of, of, uh, books off ACX just so I could figure out how it worked, figure out what everybody's <laughs> talking about. Yeah, well, um, and I think that was smart because ACX is something that you need to be aware of if you're in this business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you need to be aware of it. Um, I haven't had a whole lot of action off ACX. Um, I, I do work with some independent authors who um, not only hire me to uh, narrate their books, but they, they I have a flat fee for setting up their ACX account and uploading the books, uh-huh. uh, upload, uploading the files. I had a couple ask, you know, you know what? I had to get paid for this. 
So I, uh, that's smart. I I know yeah, that yeah. I have spoke, spoken with a few authors who yeah. uh, have a really hard time. They're just not they're they're technically challenged, and that's not a judgment. It's just they're willing right. to admit I don't know how to do yeah. this stuff, and I don't want to know how to do this stuff. Yeah. And so yeah, being so. able to provide that as a service is great. And I so I've done a I've done a couple other uh, books. I've done a couple of books for uh, for Clayton Butcher at Two Words uh, Publishing, and uh, so that's and another I'd, that's another Christian venue. Yeah, he uh, he has an interesting model. He's looking for um, backlist books for the most part um, that that have been ignored, uh, and so he's had having some great success with some of the Jeanette Oak and 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 some of those. But I've I've done almost all. Uh, nonfiction. Um, I've done um, 30 books and uh, all but one uh, were nonfiction. And probably a third of those were um, spiritual or Christian religious books. Um, I've done some uh, Vietnam memoirs. Um, mm. I did a Civil War memoir. In fact, that was the only um, uh, non or the only fiction book I've done is the Civil War memoir that. Uh, was actually so historically accurate that it, it's it's almost difficult to call it fiction, but it, it it was written by the great 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 granddaughter of someone who actually fought in the Civil War in oh, Florida, wow. and she researched it uh, down to the down to the day and the city and and all of that and and so wrote essentially it was first person written by her great, 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 great grandfather, but obviously he didn't write it. So, sure, you know, yeah. it's, you know, they, they class it as historical fiction. That, that's great. And, I, I love that kind of thing in historical fiction. I've, I've done a few historical fiction pieces and one of them was a trilogy, um, from the Vietnam era. And I actually, I, I was talking to the author at one point and I said, so I'm really curious. I mean, I know that you were there and that's, uh, that's where your experience comes from. I'm I'm kind of curious. Uh, how much of this is is real? How much of this happened to you? Mm. What's happening to the main character? How much of this happened to you? Yeah. And he said, "Well, yeah. if you talk to my lawyer, none of it. <laughs> yeah. If you ask me, eh, pretty much all of it." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I thought was really interesting. So I, I I find that great when you get a historical fiction uh, historical fiction piece yeah. where it's clearly very accurate. Yeah. So I'm I'm branching into fiction the big news. Oh, that's good. Well, uh, I, I assume that's good. I mean, I assume you're doing it because yeah. you want to. Yeah. No, nobody's twisting my arm. You know, after thir <laughs> 30 books and, a, you know, uh, some nice reviews, an audio file and a you know, service award, and a, uh, earphone award. All yeah. So, so tell me about that. What, what was the earphone for? Uh, the earphone was for patient care. Uh, patient care uh, is a dreamscape book. Uh, it was the story or was the memoir, the memories of a doctor who's, I'm sorry, his name escapes me. So I'm not going to say it or I'd get it wrong, but he spent 40 plus years as an emergency room doctor. In fact, he was one of the first, uh, medical professionals who was actually had the title of emergency room physician, oh, wow. uh, before when he was taking his medical training, uh, it was a rotation. Uh, whatever, whatever you know, whatever doctor was in the hospital, uh, uh, they would rotate through, and they would handle emergency care. Well, mm. emergency medicine is different than um, than long term medicine, you know, than general general care. And so he specialized in this. And what it, I, I believe there were about oh, there more than twenty. There are probably thirty short stories, maybe between a thousand and four thousand words each of just uh, cases that stuck out. Uh, some people lived, some people died, some people surprised him. Um, sometimes the mistakes were made, but and it was a uh, it was the doctor's first book. And it, it was such a pleasure because a big part of that earphone award was the fact that he wrote it so well. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I, I mean, I don't have to tell you this. It's much easier to write a well, to, to narrate a well-written book uh, when you have to struggle through syntax and you have to struggle through, through, you know, uh, character descriptions that don't make sense. And, and when, when the author uses the same freaking word over and over and over again, yep. it's difficult to how make, make that. How do you make it to real? make it sound good? How, yeah. Right. How, how do you make it real? So, how do you make it sound good? How do you make it not sound stilted? Yep. I know what you mean. I mean, when, when they talk about picking 
when they when they talk about picking a narrator for a book and they say, you know, I hear you in this book. This one was written for me. I mean, the guy, the doctor wrote almost exactly as I would say it, as I would talk. So that was that was a big part of that. It was a fun book to do. Um, I kind of like nonfiction because I like being the smartest person in the room. <laughs> and and when you do nonfiction, you know, for a for a moment or two, for those six or ten hours or whatever, you're the smartest person in the room, at yeah. least on that topic, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and so that was kind of cool. But I um, I was encouraged by a couple of uh, you know pretty well known coaches to uh, to jump into fiction. I I, I read for one a few months ago, and after I read I read some some nonfiction. And, and he says, do you do any fiction? And I said, no. And he says, why the hell not? You're, <laughs> you're a really good storyteller. And I said, well, kind of want to be a big fit or a, a big fish in a small pond. You know, there aren't that many people that really focus on, on nonfiction. I mean, Sean Pratt and some others, but you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's much, much smaller field. And uh, he says, well, I, I really think you ought to try this fiction thing. And I, I'm, 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 I am starting. I, in fact, I started narrating just this morning. Um, one for spoken realm. So oh, nobody's hired me to, to do fiction yet, but, um, but I've, I picked an old classic novel, a Sinclair Lewis uh, novel called the job, mm-hmm. um, that there's only one other audio copy of it out there. And, um, it's about, uh, a, an early 1900s, uh, American feminist and, uh, named Una Golden. And, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. So, well, that's great. So are you thinking that going forward, you're going to be doing more fiction? Uh, well, we'll see. I, uh, I recorded that first chapter today and listened back to it and I'm going to record it again. <laughs> now, now don't be your worst enemy. Well, it just doesn't sound like it sounds in my head and, mm. and I know I can do a better job. Uh, Sinclair Lewis is very sarcastic, very cynical. And, um, I think you can go overboard with that. And I think I opened this book uh, the first couple of pages sounding so sarcastic and so cynical that someone would say, who's that asshole? I don't want to listen to it. Ah, got it. So I, well, you know, I, and so I, this is public domain, right? Uh, yeah. It's, so, it's PDF, but... so you don't have a, you don't have a hard deadline for a publisher. This is something that you no. can take your time on and you can, you can work it as much as you want. That's exactly right. I can, I can take my time. In fact, I've pushed the date forward two or three times, I get the little email from Spoken Realms that says, uh, the book that you have uh, agreed to do for us is due in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so I go on, on a, no, no, it isn't. Hey, just move that sucker forward. Just kick that can down the road. But yeah, uh, yeah I, uh, I'm, I'm going to have fun with it. There's, uh, there's uh, uh, three or four uh, pretty cool characters in there. And uh and we're going to see what we're going to see what happens. And so, are you looking at this as sort of your test case for for fiction? Well, I have to have something that I can, you know, if I go to uh, speed dating or I put together a demo or something, I I can't just say, "Well, I'd like to do fiction." I have to be able to show them that right. I can. Right. And uh, and you know, it's um, it's fun. You know, it, it's as I'm reading this, it's like, oh, this it's a completely different mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, I approach nonfiction. I, I think Sean Sean says it has to be entertaining. I I I, I say it has to be engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not sure some of the books I've I've done could ever be you know, like the the case for atheism. I don't think that could ever be entertaining. But uh, you oh, know, I, it, I don't know. It, it, it can be engaging. I, I think I've done about a dozen books on atheism. I think I can make that engaging. Uh, and uh, <laughs> well, in, engaging for sure. But not you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, ha ha's in some of those books. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, and, and this is this is kind of fun. It's there's going to be some characters in it and that. So I'm, uh, you know, it's it's almost a little bit of a of a creative relief as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So, so yeah. look, looking to the future, do you think that there are any books or genres that you are not interested in narrating that you would not pursue? <laughs> or if somebody actually came yeah. to you and said, I'd like you to do this, that you would say, you know, that's not really in my wheelhouse. I'm not interested no matter, <laughs> no matter what your PFA tree is. Yeah, you know, is. I, uh, you know, I, I hear you ask this question all the time, uh, on the podcast and in the, uh, in the speakeasy. So I knew you're I'm gonna, always, I, yeah, I'm, 
I'm, I'm always I knew fascinated. You were ask this I, I'm always fascinated to hear because because it's one of those questions where there is no right or wrong answer. People have different reasons yeah. for doing what they do, and right. whether it's political or religious or uh, erotica or whatever it is, people are not interested in doing things, even if they could get paid to do it. And it's right. one of the things that is in their uh, sphere of, of employment, yeah. right? And so I'm always really fascinated to hear the reasons that people have, and I, I, I like them all. I mean, I, okay. I think that they're all valid because there there's no wrong answer. Well, I don't think I could do erotica because I think I would laugh. <laughs> I, would, I would just, I think I would giggle. Um, I, I, I tell, I, my mom's 84, and uh, I give her copies of all the books I do. So um, that's that, another That would have I to probably, end, right? <laughs> yeah, probably wouldn't do erotica. Yeah. Um, I don't really have, I, I, I've never had to turn a book down because of content. I think um, if, if a book, uh, heaven knows I've done a lot of books of, con- of content that I disagreed with, um, but I, 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 I've never been, I've never been up against a book that incited violence against someone else that incited someone to harass someone else. I think I would, I think I would draw the line there. Um, but that said, uh, the example I use, and I've I've done some talks on audiobooks at some of my local libraries, mm-hmm. and uh, people ask kind of the same question. And the example I use goes goes outside of audiobooks, and it's the movie Black Klansman, the Spike Lee film. I have not uh, seen that, but I have heard so many good things about that. Well, it's, it's very powerful, and um, it's a, a, a it's a true period piece from uh, the 1960s. And there are some uh, actors uh, in that film who are uh, whose characters say some uh, incredibly despicable things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you just you're sitting there in the theater and you and you just you cringe. They are they are so um, you know Spike Spike Lee doesn't pull punches. No, right? not at all. The characters were so believable. But I never, I never once thought less of the actor, man or woman, for saying those lines. I never sure. thought, I never thought, wow, that's a horrible thing for that person to say, mm-hmm. because I, I know that person's an actor, even though the, even though they had trans, they had transfixed me to Colorado Springs, and and I was believing that they were who they were on the screen. I, you know, there's, there's still that, that, that little bit of, of, of reality that says, okay, that's a role they're playing. And I look at the books I do as the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to give everything I can to the book, even if I don't agree with it. I've got one coming out fairly soon that, um, I actually did think a little bit about, and I emailed a couple of my, of my friends uh, narrators who've been around a long time saying, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this. It's a political book. I'm doing this. It, it really does. It really goes 180 degrees against what I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, should I do this? And, and every single one of them said, there's no shame in doing that book. Cause it's going to be a good book. Mm-hmm. Just do, do the best, do the best you can. So, so I, I don't quick, know. Quick, quick aside yeah. here. You're going to yeah. do it, do it under a pseudonym? No, no. Okay. No, I, I'm no, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't see the need. Um, I, I think that, you know, there are going to be some people that'll say, well, gosh, how could you do that book for that, that person, that person's terrible. How could you do that book? You know, it's, it's, it's the same thing that they, you know, they don't know me, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they, if they knew me, they would know that I'm, I'm acting a part, I'm playing a role. I don't, I don't believe that. Now, if you don't know me and you listen to this book, you will swear that I am this guy's best friend and mm-hmm. confidant and believe everything because, because that's, that's what I do. But, sure, yeah. um, that's the job. So, yeah. So your question, you know, would you, would you ever turn anything down? I, you know, violence against somebody else, um, abhorrent, um, suggestions of abhorrent behavior or something like that Maybe so, but, uh, but I, I'm an actor. So you're going to be acting. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. good. So, uh, so that sounds like you've got it, uh, you've got it worked out. I, I'm, I want to go back to the, uh, the publishing consultant, uh, sure. briefly. 
I'm curious now, after you contacted people and everybody said, that's a great idea, I don't know anybody. And then you hooked <laughs> up with one guy who said, that's great, yeah. you talked to this person and everything kind of took off from there. Um, do you have any other thoughts about that? I mean, to me, this is a very, very relationship-based business. And I know that that, that can be said about many or maybe even most businesses. Um, but it just seems to me that from what I've experienced so far in my career, this it's extremely um, relationship-driven. And, um, and so have you gone back to any of those people that you used to work with when you were a publishing consultant? <laughs> have, have you had any conversations with them yeah. about audiobooks? Um, yeah. Have you, have man you tried to man. educate them so that if somebody else calls them and says, right. Hey, you know, I know you and I want to get into audiobooks that, that they could actually have a, a better conversation. I'm, I'm just kind of curious uh, if that has played yeah. more of a role than it did initially. You know, a, a little bit. Most of the people uh, were honest when they said, we don't know anything because most of the folks I wrote to and most, uh, you know, most of the publishing houses don't produce their own. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, you know, you've got Penguin Random and, and Harper and some of the others that, that have their own audio department, but most of them don't. They, uh, they job those out to people like, you know, Dion and Blackstone and, and Brilliance and, and all of those. So they really don't, they mm -hmm. don't, um, they don't work in that, uh, in that realm, in that field. I have had a couple of, of those initial that were on that initial list, uh, who have come back. Uh, one actually brought me a couple of books. Um, oh, wow. he had, he had left the house he was with and he was doing some independent consulting with authors, agenting. Mm -hmm. And he, and he brought me a book that turned into a couple of more, um, I've had, I've auditioned for a couple of them, but, but haven't gotten the gig. So there's been a few, but I've, you know, I've been busy enough. Um, I have, I have no desire to, you know, to be a, a you know, a Sean Pratt and do a thousand books. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, f first of all, I have to live to be a hundred to do that. Um, <laughs> cause, cause he started when he was just a baby. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm busy enough and, and they were, um, you know, they were encouraging, Hey, you'd be great at that, but we don't know anybody, you know, that's fine. It, it, and it worked out. I mean, sure. um, I, I, I don't know. And I've thought about this a little bit. I don't know what I would have done if Corey, if Michael hadn't introduced me to Corey, I don't know if I'd be doing this because I don't know that I have, it takes a, an awful lot of self-confidence, uh, to get started in this. I mean, I, I see people, I talk to people, I'm an APA ambassador, so I talk to new um, APA members uh, on the phone, and I see people just getting started. And, you know, like we talked earlier, they'll go months or a year or so before they get a, uh, you know, before they get a paid gig. And I don't know that I would have, um, I don't know that the fire was strong enough in me at the beginning to do that. If I hadn't gotten those first books paid, I'm, I might not be here now. I know what it takes and you're right. It's about relationships. It's about, you know, a steady, mm -hmm. um, you know, a steady, um, oh, a gentle stream of reminders to people, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Uh, and I, I had kind of a, it's, it's kind of funny cause I had a similar, um, not exactly a start, uh, well, sort of, but, um, in the, in the opposite direction. So, so you hooked up with somebody from, uh, Christian audio, is that right? Christian audio? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and I hooked up with uh, Pitchstone Publishing, which publishes primarily science based and and atheism and secular humanism based ah. books. Okay. And if it hadn't been for working with uh, the publisher there, um, yeah. there there are you know that's uh, I would say maybe a third of the books that I've done, and mm -hmm. and it's been a huge help to me. So I completely understand. Yeah. Um, somebody said recently, and I don't remember who it was now, so I'm not going to try to attribute anybody, attribute this to anybody, but somebody said recently, there is so much luck in this business. Actually, <laughs> I, I'm thinking it was, um, uh, Breaking Bad lead guy. I can't remember his yeah. name. Um, uh, right, Brian, Brian Cranston. Cranston. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, it seems to me that it was a quote from him. So, uh, right. if I'm wrong, somebody will let me know, but I think that it was him. And he said this, this it's, it's all about luck. Now, the fact is that now it's not all about luck. I mean, it's, it's about, um, you know, you get this break or you get that break and, and then you use that and, and it springs you forward. Yeah. But, but sometimes that doesn't happen. And I feel so fortunate that I hooked up with this one publisher 
who has right. a, a topic that I'm interested in and that I would be happy to narrate. And it worked out really well for both of us. And it, it kind of sounds like that happened for you sort of on, on the yeah. other side of the religious spectrum. You know? Yeah, yeah um, exactly. So, so that's how it's, I, I always like hearing those stories because it's one of those things where you go, well, it is tough. It is difficult to start. Um, but you just have to keep working and something will happen at some point that might not be, I just got offered a book from Penguin Random House for $500 per finished hour. You know, it's, it's not necessarily something like that. It's something else that keeps you going and then you build the relationships and everything works out. Well, yeah. And, and even if that happens, I mean, even, you know, even tomorrow, if, you know, if, if Penguin, you know, opens up Ahab and says, oh, you know, Jim's just perfect for this role. And, you know, and they, they, they take me down to LA and I record a book. That's just that book yep. that, you know, there is no, there is no coasting. There is no, oh, I've made it. Yep. You know, I mean, Sean and Simon and, you know, and all of those, those from Johnny and, and, and Brick and all of those people and RC Bray, they're still working it. You know, there's no, I've made it now. Yeah. It's easier, I think, for someone who's had eight Audis and, uh, you know, a, a, a page full of earphone awards, it's easier for them to get roles, but they can't, they can't relax. You still, keep improving still a business. Yeah. It's still a business. And, yeah. uh, and that's one of the things that I, that, that I don't know if it irks me or pains me, or maybe a little of both are, are people on the Facebook, um, forums that seem to think that it, this is just so easy. Well, I've got a good voice, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, which I thought, I mean, I, I, I'll admit, I mean, that's what I thought. That's I, that's what I thought it would take. And then I start looking at some of these videos, you know, so you want to be an audiobook narrator and some others is like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, there's a heck of a lot more to this than, uh, a good voice. In mm-hmm. fact, <laughs> there are some people that don't have very good voices that do really well. Yeah, no, I, I've thought that too. Um, and, and, uh, you know, everybody's got different preferences, but I hear narrators who are spoken very highly of sometimes. And I think I I don't want to listen to this. Uh, so, you know, opinions, you know what they say about opinions. Um, everybody has one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's always interesting to hear how the journey is going for various different people. Um, so, so that's great. Well, what do you do when you're not narrating? I love to cook. Oh, um, I, my wife uh, has a real job and, uh, she is, uh, she goes to work at seven and gets home about, uh, five 30 or so every night. You and, are the chef uh, of the family. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I like, I like to cook or decide, you know, where I'm going to get takeout. And, sure, yeah. uh, I live, uh, about four hours from Yosemite hmm. and, uh, I have been to Yosemite 150 times in my life, I Holy think. Cow. And, uh, uh, I like to get up there as often as I can. That's, um, that's great. I remember once, geez, this is, uh, oh. 30 years ago now, I think, uh, stayed at the Awani with a, a oh my. girlfriend well, I... at the time. And it was, um, <laughs> I had a great time there. It yeah. was, it was <laughs> so nice. I've never had enough money to stay there. But, uh, yeah, that, it happened <laughs> once. <laughs> and I'm not even sure if, yeah. actually, I don't think that we paid for that. Um, oh my. yeah, her mom owned a business and she was using this as her once a year, uh, uh-huh. executive retreat or something like that. Oh, I, cool. I, I'm, I'm not even sure, but, um, it, it was, it was nice. And I did like being in Yosemite. I'm a, I'm a huge baseball fan. And, uh, every, every summer I'm the public address announcer for a, a team here in San Luis Obispo. That's the, uh, that's in the uh, California collegiate league. It's wooden bat baseball and uh, we have a lot of scouts come out and watch the kids. So that starts up the end of May. So that, that must be great as a, as a baseball oh, fan, being able to be that involved in what's happening on the field. 35 games in two months, including two double headers. And, that's, that's cool. And so, so that'll be, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. So that's, you know, that, and, uh, uh you know, I read, uh, I don't read a lot. <laughs> yeah, for, no doubt. <laughs> I don't read a lot for pleasure anymore. Though. Yeah. It's I, funny how uh, that happens, isn't it? Uh, it's like, you know, even, even what I am reading for pleasure, I, you know, I start putting my finger on the screen and underlining things. And, yep. Uh, I, uh, I hear you. It's, it's occupational the, hazard. I, it's exactly what I was just going to say is, uh, yeah. occupational hazard of being a narrator is that all of a sudden reading is now a job. And, and I, I think that that's very true about many jobs as well. I love to oh, do sure. this. So if I could just get a job doing this, 
Yeah. yeah then you'll have a job doing it. And um, so yeah. I, I think that's true of everything. Um, but yeah. I certainly do. Uh, I do love the narration stuff. So uh, so what what do you think is the most important thing that you would say to anybody out there who's just getting started in this business? Um. True confessions. You told me you were going to ask me this question, so I thought about it a little bit. Um, <laughs> there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of books published every year. Um, very few of them become bestsellers. There are big books that drive the narrative, big books that get a lot of attention. But there's a significant number of books that never make it to any of the lists, but still do okay. The, the authors are, are thought well of, and the books are, are read and Mm -hmm. talked about. And I think the same is true for narrators. Um, there's a handful who win um, a lot of awards. They um, they enjoy, I think, some much-deserved notoriety. Um, but there's also a significant number who are just working steadily at their craft. Mm -hmm. um, they are working actors who happen to, to narrate books. And I, I think that success is not about winning. It's about excellence. And, and there's a difference. It's not just semantics. If my goal is to win, that means everybody else loses. And I'm focusing on me. I win. I'm the best. And it's, so it's all about me. But if I focus on being excellent, if I focus on doing the very best I can with what I have, the focus is actually on everybody else. Because by being excellent, I create a product that they're going to enjoy. And, and that they're going to be able to take advantage of. And, um, you know, awards are nice and, 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 and a, 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 a acclaim and accolades and all of that, especially when they come from your peers. Um, but more than anything, it's just, you know, do the best job you can. And whether you're doing it in a closet um, or you're doing it in a, you know, a, a multi-million dollar studio, do the best you can, you know, with what you got. Don't make excuses. Well, I'm beginning, so it's okay if I have some, you know, water heater noise in the background. No, it isn't. <laughs> you know, no, it isn't. Yeah. You know, do do something about that. Well, I can have, you know, I can have a $39 USB mic. No, you can't. Yeah. You know, you know, be excellent. Doesn't mean you have to have a, you know, $5,000 Neumann sitting in front of you, but be excellent. Do the, do the best you can with, with what you've got. And, um, you know, so that's that's my advice, not only to narrators, but to just about anybody. I I think that's great. I uh, I completely agree. It it's easy to forget that sometimes. You know, um, one of the, one of the things that I see frequently um, lately is posts about or memes about um, you know don't compare your success to others, and I I'm glad that I see it frequently because I find that really difficult. Because yeah, social <laughs> social media is Tell all about, about this oh, is yeah. great. Look what happened. Fantastic. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. I you know and and so it's difficult for me to remember that sometimes. And yet when I when I stop when I just kind of I see that and I just stop and I look at it for a minute and I sort of you know get small and just relax for a second. I know how true it is. Is yeah, that I'm you know your journey is not my journey. Yeah. What you do is, has really almost nothing to do with what I do. Uh, it's very important that I measure myself against something that has nothing to do with the success of others. Right. And so, uh, so I, I, I think that's great advice. Um, cool. so I think we'll, well thanks. There. Thanks for tipping me off to that, or I would have bumbled and stumbled around with that. I actually wrote that. <laughs> I wrote that one down. Well, that's so good. I, actually, I'm I'm glad then because I feel like I was able to help you kind of crystallize yeah. your thoughts about yeah. what is important here, and I'm I'm sure that those thoughts are what motivate you to work the way that you do. But sometimes it's helpful to to have somebody sort of force you to write that down or you yeah. know, codify it somehow um, to to really make it clear. So uh, right. so that's good. I'm I'm happy cool. to hear that. So Jim, cool. if, if anybody wants to find you online, where can, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, JimSiebert.com is my website. J I M S E Y B E R T. Um, my Twitter is at JimSiebert. Uh, my Instagram is JimSiebert. Uh, my, <laughs> my pretty, pretty much focused on the name there, huh? <laughs> there you go. There you go. We could, we could talk a whole hour about personal branding, but yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, just Jim Siebert, just, you know, it's pretty easy to find. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your cool. call. But before I forget, you mentioned two yeah. Sovas. You were nominated for a Sovas Award. What was that for? Uh, it was uh, uh, Best Narration in, uh, oh gosh, what was the category? Uh, self-help slash health care or something like that. And it was a book that I... Uh, that I did for um, Clayton Butcher at uh, Two Words Publishing. But, but it called, was not the same one that you got the earphones for. Right. It was okay. called The Soul of Shame about neuro-linguistic programming, that those little voices in your head that tell you you're, you know, you're not good enough. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and how to deal with those. And uh, uh, that that's, was... That that's was, great. That, I'm actually going to look yeah. for that one because that's... Yeah, that uh, was a hoot. Yeah, no kidding. That's... Um, Boy, that for almost anybody that I know of in a creative profession, acting, voice acting, whatever yeah. it is, uh, those voices in your head, that's like the worst. Yeah. He doesn't talk about imposter syndrome, but yeah, it's it. That's one of them. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You're, you're faking it. You're not you're not good enough to do yeah. that. But yeah, that was cool. Clayton, uh, Clayton uh, sent that one in and I. I had I had no no thought, and then all of a sudden I'm at a haircut. I'm getting my haircut one day, and the the uh, the phone uh, dings, and it's um, uh, Melissa Moran, and she says congratulations on the text message. Oh, that's fantastic! I, I text back, "What for?" <laughs> <laughs> and she sends me a link, and it was you know I'm sitting there, and this you know this lady's got these sharp scissors, and I she about cut my ear off because I'm just bouncing around. <laughs> Like like crazy. That was a gas. Well, yeah, I'm seeing was... I'm seeing your picture here on Skype. There's not much else she could cut, is there? No, there. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you saw that today, but there was uh, as a young lady. One of the uh, narrator put up a uh, a picture of her with pink hair. She she, uh -huh. she dyed her hair pink. Jamie, and yeah. I wanted I wanted to send back if I had hair. Uh, <laughs> You, know, you anyway. could just paint your scalp pink. Any, anyway, this, this has been great, Jim. Thanks yeah. for uh, thanks for taking the time. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Uh, yeah. it's been been a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate your last uh, your last words there. Um, how was the Booker's? <laughs> it, it, is the Booker's gone? <laughs> it's uh, it's gone, but, but and I'm not going to have another one because because Mama's coming home soon. All right, so. got it. Well, <laughs> I've I, my flight is uh, one third, uh, probably about two thirds gone. I've the uh, Oregon Distillers is gone. That's I think that's still my favorite rye at this point. The mm -hmm. uh, the High West Double Rye is almost gone, and the Ragtime I liked. Um, it's a little more subtle than the other ones, but uh, but I definitely liked it, and uh, and I'm a big rye fan, so uh, I will definitely be drinking more of that. There you go, a little American Pie, drinking whiskey and rye. That's huh? right. That's right. I, right. That that lyric always cracks me up. It's like, but. But rye is yeah. whiskey. But <laughs> right. It rhymed. Anyway, all right. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Jim. Really appreciate okay, your Richard. time. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Jim Siebert for stopping in. I enjoyed hearing about his journey into the audiobook world, and I hope you did too. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs>